John Hinckley almost didn't shoot the president. One could even say the universe was fighting John in his desire to kill a public figure. First of all, his Hollywood crush, Jodie Foster, had drawn boundaries on their relationship. John was stalking and calling the young starlet at her college campus. In his most recent unwelcome calls, Jody Flatt told him she couldn't speak to him anymore, not even to turn him down. Who is this? This is Jody. Who is this? This is John. Tell who? Oh, no, not you again. You understand why I can't, you know, carry on these conversations with people I don't know. You understand that it's dangerous and it's not done, not fair, and it's rude. The second speed bump from the universe was when John got caught trying to smuggle a pistol through the airport and was fined $62. It would have been jail if he'd been carrying any sort of evidence of what he was intending. As it was, he flew to D.C. without any real plan or equipment. Thirdly, the universe threw out a spike strip for John when he arrived in Washington, D.C. and found the president wasn't as easy to find as he'd imagined. Reagan was a busy man, driving from speech to speech, and John had to sit on the sidewalk and gain his bearings. In his persistence, however, John got lucky. While wandering the streets, he stumbled upon a newspaper with Reagan's tour schedule on it. John penned another quick letter to Jody Foster, posted it, and followed the newspaper to the Hilton Hotel, where the president was speaking inside. Those who are deserving can rest assured that they'll not be cut adrift, that the rest of us will feel the impact of the budget cuts which have been distributed through the economy as evenly as possible. There is one area, however, where we must spend more, and that is for our national defense. It's my duty as president and all of our responsibility as citizens to keep this country strong enough to remain free. John found a brick alcove by the president's car and waited with the rest of the crowd to meet the president. When Ronald Reagan emerged from the hotel, John Hinckley stepped out of the alcove and fired six shots in two seconds from a 22 revolver, hitting four people. 20 minutes later, President Reagan stumbled into the hospital, fell to one knee, and gasped the words, I can't breathe. Nobody knew that Reagan had been shot during the assassination attempt. Not even Reagan. There was no blood on his clothes, no obvious bullet holes, just a coin-sized slit under Reagan's arm where a tiny 22 bullet had flattened against a car door, ricocheted, and entered Reagan's chest like a disc-shaped scalpel. Around the time the doctors had their hands inside Reagan's torso, holding his heart to the side so they could work on his shredded lung, John Hinckley was in the custody of the Secret Service. The reports say John was cold, if not outright pleased with himself. On the car ride to his holding cell, John asked for the football scores, and the agents escorting him looked at him like he was an alien and told him, we don't know what the fucking scores are. Once in the holding cell, one of the Secret Service agents asked how to spell assassinate so he could start his paperwork. John interrupted, giving him the correct spelling. A-S-S-A-S-S-I-N-A-T-E. Every step of the way, John Hinckley seemed to fight fate 
and reason on his way to shoot the president. Once it was done, he showed zero remorse. Reagan, on the other hand, forgave John Hinckley right away. And our question today is, why? You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment and all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Todd Laments, the extrovert. And I'm the writer, researcher, and introvert, Joe Anthony, whose job it is to dig through the outer layer of no-duh on the internet. There are many reasons to forgive someone who has wronged you. Self-help books claim forgiveness can mature you as a person. Religion says forgiveness brings you closer to God. Refusing to forgive, according to Mandela, is like drinking poison and waiting for your enemy to die. But if you boil down all that motivational advice, forgiveness generally falls under one of two tents. You practice forgiveness for your own emotional benefit, or you practice forgiveness because you were wronged by someone you love and you want to keep loving them. Two types of forgiveness, which we will cover over the course of two shows. Today's part one, forgiveness for our own benefit. And we have three myths about why you might tell a stranger, nah, don't worry about it. I got in the way of your bullet. Myth one, we're told by our parents to forgive because it makes us good people. In which case, we should practice quick, drive-through speed forgiveness, right? Myth two. Friends, family, and even strangers tell us forgiveness makes us healthy. But are they asking us to forgive because they value our health or because they want the situation to be done? Myth three, can forgiveness be a shortcut to healing? Is forgiveness like a Band-Aid? Rip it off quick so it stings less. We're going to get to our myths. But first, I want to ask Joe if he practices what we preach or if he's more of a petty revenge type of person. I will cop to this first, um, just because I, I want to. I, I want to go through this journey together with whoever's listening. Um, as I've emotionally matured, I went from being a very, very petty revenge type person with no forgiveness. Like it, it was, it was to the point where um, if somebody wronged me at work, I would um, like, like subconsciously sabotage them just forever. Like there was no, there was no end point. There was no plan. Uh, it, it was like the the old Irish grudge. You're dead and to me. You exactly. are dead to me. <laughs> I can just see that in your face, like you know, when when I kind of like twitched, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it cue the supervillain music, and then like the camera would zoom in on my face, and the the lights would change, and I would I would turn villain mode, and yeah, and, and I would say I want them dead, and I want their family dead. And it was all just because they stole my lunch or, or or you know messed up one of my reports. That's it. Um, but you've had other things too that are more serious, right? Not just not just work, just little subtle things. Right. Well, that's that's the other part is as I've had to learn to forgive family members and people closer to me, I, I couldn't be that petty. Like I, I had to start learning to forgive people I loved. Um, it's it seems much easier. Like when you forgive a stranger, it seems like you're trying to say something about yourself. Uh, you're trying to be something. And if you forgive other people that you love or that you know intimately, then it becomes a practice of, well, how much of a relationship do, do I want after this? 
So, and I've done both wrong, by the way. The the research we were going to read through, I was doing both types of forgiveness wrong in in pretty much every way. <laughs> um, even when I meant it, even when I I felt really like I want to forgive somebody, I was still doing it wrong. And we will we will go over that definitely. Um, so, what about you, Todd? Are, are you a forgive and forget? Mine is very inconsistent. You know, I, I'm an over emotional person. And it seems like I have tons of patience for some people, almost unlimited. And then for others, I have none at all, you know. And then in time, it seems a lot of times I forgive things and things kind of soften over time. The edge to those swords comes off. And a lot of times I have regrets that I forgave someone in the first place. <laughs> you know, I open the door for them back in my life. And, and, and if I'm being honest, um, I, I regret it. And yeah. I've been thinking about this a lot. You shared a TED Talk with me. And uh, I'm sure we'll probably be mentioning that in the store. That kind of made me think about it. It was about a woman whose family was murdered and about forget. And I followed a lot of true crime stuff. So that's got me thinking. So this, this subject is very, very much a hot button for me right now. Okay. I, I, I very much sympathize with um, that, that there are categories of who you forgive, that there are, there are classifications, that there are some people where you want to forgive them you do forgive them, and then they they come back and wrong you again. And that's well, I feel like, like I feel like with friends and family, if someone's done something for me from my past, I let them do anything to me, and I'm a little bit too understanding and forgiving because oh, it's, they've known me for this long and they've done this for me, and I I I think I give that a little too much weight. Yeah, I I, I feel that on a deep level, um, and I've I've also realized that there are reasons to forgive too, like. Um, uh, recently, uh, I, I, we had an episode where I talked about the, um, the mass shooting that happened at my sister's supermarket. And, um, recently I had an issue where I was loaning her money and found out that she was misusing it, that she, that it wasn't, you know, she was lying to me to get the money and it happened a couple of times. And, and I, I had to forgive because there was something more dangerous on the horizon that she needed the money for. First it was, I needed to, to help me with, you know, medical bills. And then that was a lie. But then after that, it was needing it for kids. And so it, it's, do you forgive people out of necessity? Like, how often does that happen? It sounds like manipulation 101, right? It she was, knows exactly yeah. what's going to trigger you because you, you love your nieces and nephews and you love her. So if it's going to help her, yes, however much you need. Right. But then how does it make you feel when you get burned? It makes you can- feel like a fool, right? Like, Oh, that happened to me twice. Like this is going to happen five times in a row, you know? Right. Exactly. We also had a, an episode about, um, uh, f- uh, first impressions. And we found out that we're more willing to forgive people. Like than we thought, like, it's not all about the first impression. We by nature will forgive, uh, associates and workmates because we want to have a good working relationship in the future. So, Forgiveness is not nearly as cut and dry as I mean, like we all going into this podcast as a, a subject. I thought this was going to be a, a one big no duh that was kind of boring and, and we were done with it. But it is sticky. There's types of forgiveness. There's reasons to forgive. Um, w- there's so much misinformation. I think the bulk of what we tell people to forgive because it's healthy for you. I think it's misguided and oftentimes wrong in its placement. And And on top of that, pop culture loves not forgiving people like like our biggest media our best movies that we produce in america are about never forgiving we we kill bill is an entire epic about revenge it's about not forgiving somebody who wronged you batman is all based on never forgiving somebody who like murdered your parents 
John Wick is about not forgiving somebody who killed your dog. Like, like our, our, our episodic uh, uh, memory as a culture is do not forgive. You never forgive somebody because it's cool when you don't like, like revenge is cooler. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a hold of control, right? I hate you forever because you did something wrong to me. I have had that experience with work people and a lot of, you know, we spend most of our life at work and people who are just super sweet and gregarious and you just like, everyone likes them always seem to be not the best, but the people that rub you the wrong way and you kind of insult you and make you feel bad about yourself over time. Those usually end up being your the people who are on your side and the people that you're friends with to this day, right? <laughs> so, um, the, the the type of forgiveness we want to focus on today, we already said this in our opening, but it, it bears repeating, is we want to talk about um, um, episode one. This whole first part is about do we forgive or should we forgive for our own emotional benefit? Is forgiveness basically like a band aid? Like the quicker you forgive somebody. Or the more deeply you forgive somebody, the quicker you heal. Um, so this is all about like, do we forgive? Uh, should we forgive? Because it'll benefit us as people. Um, and we're gonna have we're gonna have to start with some definitions here because we we just threw out a bunch of scenarios where forgiveness is trickier and comes in different flavors. That that was what we just did. Is we gave everybody in ten seconds or, or five minutes, the, the Baskin Robbins 31 flavors of types of forgiveness <laughs> through our own experiences. What we want to say is, is that forgiveness is not pardoning somebody. We're not trying to wash away the event. Um, there's, there's a, um, do, are you familiar with, uh, the comedian Mike Birbiglia? No, I don't know. <laughs> he, he's kind of like a, a, I don't want to insult him, but he's kind of like a, a self-professed awkward sort of person. And all of his comedy is about being in awkward social situations, pretty much. Um, but one of his best comedy shows is he goes on the super long, almost like the entire special is about he got hit by another driver who seemed like they were drunk. And the police who showed up faulted him instead. Like he, he basically got T-boned at an intersection. The person, the other person was very, very clearly at, in the wrong such a pushover that everybody just walks all over him. <laughs> just the doormat of a human being, right? Right, but this drove him insane. Like, like he he uh, um, he read the police report. He he asked for it and he got it, and and the police report was nonsense. Like it was it he he in his comedy special he reads through it while the audience is laughing because it is so badly written. Well, and, so it's actual and factual event, not just an exaggerated. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, running, no, no. Yeah. He wants to tell the audience that he's right because his whole special is about. He was in he he was in the right, and um, the the police and the lawyers both basically told him you know uh, suck it up and pay this guy off. So like they like everybody was trying to push him to accept the the judgment of the police and the the judge and to just pay off this a hole who who slammed into him. Um, so I I I was so with him like like that's a type of forgiveness where I'm like no never never do that don't pardon somebody who is. So, so that is that is the type of, of forgiveness what we're we're talking about when we say we forgive somebody. We're not pardoning somebody. We're not we're not you know they're not our Thanksgiving turkey. We're not trying to pardon them away from a sin. Um, forgiveness is not saying you know uh, this event never happened in my mind. It's not forgiveness. That that the, the whole phrase forgive and forget erase that second half. We're not even going to talk about forgetting because that's not part of forgiveness. Um, forgiveness is not condoning like saying it was okay. Uh, it's not excusing, like saying that the person had a good reason for it. Like when we joked about Reagan, like, no, it's okay. I got in the way of your bullet. 
but there are shades of that where like um if you get into an altercation with your family and then later on say oh well you know my my drunk dad had a good reason for yelling he was under a lot of stress that is not forgiving somebody and it's unhealthy um and, and denying um forgiveness is not refusing to see the event is not so bad or or, or saying a event that requires your forgiveness saying it wasn't so bad that's not what we're going to talk about like we're, we're not those are all basically unhealthy ways people deal with forgiveness and i know because i've done all of them like <laughs> when i've forgiven somebody in the past i have to give myself a reason to forgive somebody like like here's here's how deeply the uh irish revenge runs in my blood i actually have to have a reason to forgive i can't just do it for my own health and sanity which means that all of these things that are identified by, uh, what is it, the, the DSM-5 or, or by basically psychology today, all those reasons for forgiving somebody, I, I, or all those things, the elements that are not forgiveness, I've used every single one of them to justify why I'm forgiving somebody. Do you think part of that is, Joe, that it's a good boundary setter too? That you, you don't want things just to continue. And it feels like when someone does that to you once, they're going to do it again. So you need them to make it right before they move on. It seems very probably common and natural. I, I think I think you're dead right. And and I think that even the word boundaries, like I have found uh, as I've matured that I am bad at setting boundaries and I am bad at forgiving for all the same reason. It's social awkwardness. Like I don't oh. want to set boundaries. I, I would prefer to say, you know, like make up an excuse for why I can't go out somewhere, why I can't send somebody money. And, uh, and forgiveness is the same way. I need a reason. And let me just say this about Joe, knowing, you know, being in around his family and around his social and then some of his creative things, he has a high tolerancy patience for bullshit. You do. I mean, you, yeah. <laughs> you, you don't cut him off fast. You, you kind of look the other way at a lot of stuff and things don't bother you. I mean, you're pretty, you know, you seem to put it in this right place. Emotionally mature, I guess I would say when it comes to, to others into relationships <laughs> and patient for fuck's sake. You're very patient with people including myself. Do you think that Americans are more likely to forgive or less likely? Let's just let's just start with what is the the national average. First off, I thought it was going to be about 50-50. I thought taking the high road was like far less likely. I thought maybe 20% of people were were going to quote unquote take the high road or turn the other cheek. Um, this came up in a 1991 Gallup poll and the question that Gallup was asking is what do you do when somebody deliberately wrongs you um and way more people than i thought w were into the forgiveness camp it, it's 48 percent say Whoa, they shit, try to forgive that's yeah that's, that, that's way higher than i thought it was going to be so was the next one the try to overlook it uh, category was like 45 percent you know, I want to asterisk that one because I think a lot of the overlook it too uh, you put the people in who just don't like confrontation they just yeah. can't stand up for themselves. And that's not just at work and in school. That's at home, too. They just, they're just not built. You know, I, I have family members who are that way. They just don't like them. And I, I admire that because I like, a com you know, conflict right. too much. You know, it makes my day sometimes. Well, I, I've got I've got something that validates your thought there. Um, some of the people from Try to Overlook It also fell into the category of resented anyway. So 14% of people said they almost always resent when somebody has deliberately wronged them and 8%, only 8% are in the revenge category. 8% said get even. So, um, there is some overlap that, by the way, if you take all those numbers, they don't add up to hundred, they're over a hundred because some of the people 
also resented. Like they would they would say try to overlook it and resent it. The get even's kind of ugly though, isn't it? Yeah, that's you know that's how I'm going to get you back, and I'm, I got to you know I was just like ugh, that kind of scares me a little bit. Just that <laughs> I always think about that. I think well, how many people have I wronged, and I I I probably you know social my, my social awareness is off a lot more than I give credit to. A lot more than I've apologized to. I know that. <laughs> I like that there are people that answered that. I, I like that, that that somebody can receive an official Gallup poll, know that they're <laughs> going to be documented in history, and they're they're still willing to admit, like, no, I, I prefer revenge. Like, I, it's I Austin Powers, Doctor Evil. It is exactly. It is. Yeah. <laughs> um, we we had an episode about grudges, uh, um, way back. Like that was that was in the first twenty thirty episodes that we did. Um, and the reason why you, you don't try to get even <laughs> the reason you don't check that box when Gallup polls roll around is because um, uh, the colleges like um, uh, I think our, our example was uh, Glasgow Caledonia University and um, Edinburgh Napier. They they found that every time you sort of like refresh your memory of how somebody has wronged you, it heightens your physical pain, even if the pain isn't related to like a, a, a grudge or or you know, revenge, like, like to the point where like back pain or arthritis could get worse if you were visualizing somebody who had wronged you. So like, <laughs> well, yeah, we we're talking about the good old days to our examples where people back in the day, if you didn't like somebody, um, it was, it was, it was, uh, pistols at dawn, you know? Yeah. It was, it eye was, for an eye. was yeah. and, and that's kind of like, I, I think that kind of speaks to how we've evolved as people. I, I don't think people change. But I certainly think that socially what we are willing to accept has changed. We don't do duels anymore. Um, and we don't allow people to have like uh, levels of revenge that lead to mass bloodshed. At least we're not supposed to allow that anymore. So like socially, I don't think humans and their motivations change. But we have changed as far as like what we accept from neighbors and friends and politicians. So like we don't allow revenges the way we used to, which is a good thing. But we sure as heck can just choose not to forgive somebody and press that big blinking red button on our soul that says continue hating somebody and raise our own pain level, which is exactly what you're doing. Like, like to, to answer our, our initial myth, um, you know, is, is forgiveness good for you uh, health wise? Um, we'll get into more specifics, but it absolutely is. It, it, it's every time you, you think of somebody who has wronged you, it is like hitting the red button that that heightens your own pain and affects your own nervous system and raise your own cortisol. Um, there was a, a, um, a, a, a um, we're going to, we're going to link off to a university of Michigan doctor. Um, and they found out that not forgiving somebody is basically the same as pricking their finger with a needle while they're in a, in a functional MRI. So the way the study went is they, they specifically got people who had experienced a messy breakup not for the control group, obviously, but for the test group and the people who had experienced a messy breakup where they felt the other person was at fault. They put them in the MRI and they would show them pictures of their ex and their, their, their brain would light up. And then That's they crazy. would. I totally yeah. believe that because you know how breakups are. They're, they're horrible. They're physical pain. They, they yeah. really are. <laughs> no, that, that is you, you cut to the chase. That's exactly what they found is they found that. Um, if they showed them a picture of their ex and if they uh, poked their finger with a sharp object, it, it lit up the exact same circuits in the brain. So like the same amount of stress hormone cortisol was released, the same parts of the brain lit up. 
Um, so like, isn't that scary? <laughs> isn't that scary? Yeah, we will. We will talk about the long term physical effects of uh, not forgetting forgiving somebody, especially if you're going to continue talking to them or interact with them in the future. But yeah, it, it is frightening that I, I guess it's it's the whole um, it, neurology, like your, your brain is kind of lazy, <laughs> like like it, it, it uses the same circuits for like different functions. We had a we had an episode about how like we found out that breakup pain can be numbed with um, was a Tylenol or aspirin. Like you can actually reduce the pain of a breakup by by taking a medication. Um, so, yeah, it's it's the same circuit. Well, I, what I was thinking about is the first thing was when, when you do hold a grudge and you don't forgive somebody, you, you relive that thing over and over. And I'll give you an example. You ever have that argument at work or with somebody you love and then you go home and then you, you think of all these clever, witty things you should have said, but you, you play the, that reel over and over. But when I think it's almost worse than physical pain, physical pain, you can kind of, <laughs> you can compartmentalize it and put a cast on it and it starts to heal right away. But this one, you can just keep unburying it and unpacking it day after day, month after month, year after year. Right. And imagine if you are, um, if you are Reagan and you are literally carrying around a painful wound that still hasn't healed. Like I, I kind of almost, I, I, I don't know his reasons for forgiveness. That's the, what we'll get into with your history part is why did he forgive? I do. But, but, <laughs> but like if he hadn't imagine just like every time he thought about Hinkley shooting him and he activated that pain button, he just like mold about it. Imagine the amount of physical pain that would go up in his body. Like he's literally got a wound like that. That would hurt more thinking Absol- about Hinkley shooting him. And absolutely. And, and, uh, that's not why, but ego wise, right? It's like, how dare you? You know, I'm the president of the United States. I'm the leader of the free world. You know, I mean, right. I'm, kind of, I'm kind of a big deal. You know, I used to be an actor and everything too. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I like, I like to believe that's what he yelled right as he got hit. He's like, I was an actor, and then he fell into the car. Um, that's obvious. I'm making that up. But <laughs> what I'm, I'm curious about the shooter. Like it, the the parts that. If you go if you go and read a book about the shooting of Reagan or if you watch a documentary, it does not really like Hinckley is such a strange, interesting character. Most of the information usually focuses on like his past, what he was up to, why he why he wanted to shoot the president. But it was so weird to me how alien he acted, like like how cold he was and how weirdly obsessed he was about very specific things, almost like he had Asperger's. There is. Yeah. And narcissist, sociopathic. Um, there's definitely some very, very severe um, mental men- mental health issues here. And he's just so plain, but so interesting. And, you know, you weren't even around when this happened. And I was probably seven or eight. So, but him getting what's happening now, he's been brought back up in the news and all the new documentaries and all the new information. You and I have just been geeking out, reading and watching. And um, he had an obsession with Jodie Foster, the actor. This is, and at the time, you know, she's a, uh, an older actress now, you know, she plays moms and aunties now, <laughs> right? But at the time, she was a fourteen-year-old, and she had a a big role in the the movie Taxi Driver, and which was a huge Robert De Niro, um, and she played a young prostitute in that. And he saw that, and he was hooked on it. He he wanted to be that movie. He wanted to take De Niro out of it and his active imagination and become him. I mean, he'd hold a pistol up to his head and he saw him because the movie was about this taxi driver who has mental health issues, who was going to assassinate a political figure. 
yeah, lived alone, super isolated, didn't know how to communicate with people, decided yeah, that... Terrible social anxiety. I'll give you an example of the part of the movie. He gets a date with a beautiful woman, and he takes her to a adult movie theater because right. he thinks that's the movies. And she's she's shocked and, and disturbed by it, but he doesn't know that he's doing anything wrong. He's He's just literally socially on a different planet. You know, we're eventually going to do an episode just about Taxi Driver because we've had multiple episodes where we talk about would-be attempted assassins or assassins, and they were emulating Taxi Driver. Yeah, it did more, did more pain than good. I mean, I think it did, right? It's inspiring all these weirdos to try to kill people, and it's like it's that powerful a movie that... Right. It was a blueprint for like, oh, you just got to get a gun and a, a shoot a, 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 you know, a, a politician... And the guy doesn't look like a happy human being. It doesn't look like someone you wanted to, be, you know, switch places with in life. But but he really did. John wanted to be this guy. He wanted to have Jody look up to him, and um, he he was stalking her. Um, and I don't think it was as seriously taken back in those days as it is now. I know it wasn't. This is this is nineteen eighty one. And I'll the read you a couple of times. Uh, sorry, I was gonna say the amount of times he called her and how many letters he sent, and that he was uh, able to get all that communication with Jodie Foster, who had just been in this movie. I know they didn't have the same stalking standards. No, and then I, I kind of commend her on her patience with him. Like she's yeah. kind of a good person for putting up with all this. Certainly understanding and forgiving because she's in college and she's an actress and she's got a lot going on. She doesn't need this older man doing all this weird stuff it's kind of make her very uncomfortable especially where, where he sees her as this young prostitute from a movie and it's just not healthy but she really was patient with him um let me read you a couple quotes yeah uh, he please writes, he, he writes this to her he pens this to her in one of the many many letters he's this is john speaking as you know well by now i love you very much the past seven months i have left you dozens of poems letters and messages in the faint hope you would develop an interest in me there's one. This is like this guy is, you know, pen palling her, writing her poems. And that's something you would do to Joe. I, I don't know. <laughs> love bombing them. Except, yeah, love bombing. There you go. Yeah. Um, and there's another one. Jody. This is another one. I would abandon the idea of getting Reagan in a second if I thought I could win your heart and live out the rest of my life with you, whether in total obscurity or whatever. So he's on a. Does he think that this woman's going to leave her career and her college and run away with him, Joe? I. He must have had that fantasy. He must have just been like, if I can be enough like the De Niro character from Taxi Driver, and if I could sit in the seat of sociopaths for five seconds, I, I really think that the the reason why Taxi Driver stuck out to these people is because, you know, it's somebody who is like very clearly mentally ill on socially has a, a, a disconnect and a disorder and yet he, he becomes empowered. I, I think that's the, the, the journey that these people are salivating for. And what Hinkley is salivating for is that, you know, despite having all of these hangups and not being able to connect with humanity, he, he, he becomes physically strong. Like he starts working out. There's, there's classic photos of De Niro ripped and like holding a pistol and like, having a mission and he goes through with it. Like, I think it's the empowerment and wanting to take his place. And it's, it's so weird to, to hear him outright say he's going to kill Reagan. And they didn't like, like nobody tried to stop him. Yeah. And then he said that, yeah, you think even if you think that now the secret service come knocking on your door, right? Right. I mean, 
Well, I think it's important to, to point this out that um, his he comes from a rich family too. So this wasn't just some homeless person. Um, he's a son of John Hinckley Sr., who was the chairman of the board at Vanderbilt Energy Corporation. So he was in the oil business. He was an oil big shot. And he lived in a very, very high-end uh, Dallas suburb growing up. So was that part of it, that he had time and unlimited resources because he was just a rich kid? Right. He didn't have to go <laughs> to work like the rest of us. <laughs> we had an episode where we talked about the prevalence of sociopathy in uh, CEOs. So you, you telling me that John Hinckley Sr. was, you know, the chairman of Vanderbilt Energy and like this big mucky muck. I'm like, yeah, okay, it checks the, seat, the, the sociopath box. So in my mind, uh, Hinckley Jr. just didn't find his business to go into. <laughs> I'm being cruel. That's... <laughs> Well, I want to tell you about the shooting itself. Um, so it wasn't known that he was actually hurt. Now, now you can see the adrenaline and, you know, you you would think if I got shot, you would know it. I'd be screaming bloody murder. But let's face it, Ronald Reagan's a tougher cat than I am, okay? So, so a lot happened. It happened fast. I think the, the, the blessing, the, the saving grace here is that they took him to the hospital even though he wasn't shot. So a ricochet bullet went out it went only one inch from his heart but it caused severe internal bleeding so it's not it just missed him by a heart uh, an inch from his heart he's okay yeah um he was in he was in serious grave danger um it's called an exploratory latitromony does that sound right lap lapitromony oh lap uh laparotomy yeah and so the surgery is done to find the cause of the problem, like the pain of the bleeding. It's hard to diagnose because, it, again, we're talking about a coin-sized thing. But it needs, um, it's, a, it's an abdominal injury and it needs immediate medical care. And the surgery itself, to me, sounds very Civil War-y. It's a surgery that uses one huge, large cut, <laughs> a big incision. So... You know, nowadays we go up this, we, we put this, you know, pin size thing and a camera runs up it or whatever. Well, this right. is 1981. So he gets opened up. You know, thank God he was at the hospital or he he would have passed. There were, um, I'm glad you did most of the research on this because I remember I was watching the documentary. That's where I got to on this. And they were talking about how his lung was so full of blood it had, it felt hard. Like, like one of his lungs was just like, absolutely full and they pressed on it and they're like it's as hard as a stone they're like we need to get in there i thought he was like w when i read in in history books back in school like uh, it just said he was injured i was like oh so he must have been like winged by a bullet or something i didn't know it was yeah, basically this, he was he was dead the like they servicemen got the worst of it they took it for him and he he was yeah that's what i thought too. that's exactly what i thought too they didn't say that no this was even a hidden you know he was close to being terminal. You know? They had to hold his heart to the side while they chased all the injuries this little sharp disc made. Which sounds terrible. Yeah. It reminds me of the Abe Lincoln thing where they were trying to pump his heart. I mean, it, it, to me, it's, it's it sounds similar, you know. I'm, I'm – <laughs> do you think that when he, he walked out from that uh, – okay, so first off, um, we won't – uh, just just briefly, I, I'm not going to spoil too much, but I'll say that like it took him weeks to to get past this. Like he he didn't come back into public. Um, this like basically for a month. And the first thing he did is he he went out and he gave a speech about um uh the 
the self-respect of the of of the working man like it, it, he went on like an anti-union tirade after this but my thought is why the hell would you immediately forgive somebody like it wasn't just like it, it, it was basically as soon as he could talk he he forgave this grievous injury that that lacerated his insides like that well i'm gonna remind you why we started this episode is is because i saw an interview with his son and his son to this day 30 whatever years later is as angry as he, as ever and he said nancy reagan to her death was still angry and resentful of this person so forgiveness is not found by the family it was only found by the man that was shot which i thought was very interesting yeah because you can't forgive for somebody else, I guess. I wonder if his family felt it was like foolish to forgive him that quickly. Like if if they're still holding on to that hatred, I wonder if they didn't see the reasoning or or feel the same way that obviously Reagan did. Does it feel, feel like they they think that, that maybe you care more because you don't forgive? Maybe that that's but possible. I don't get it. You know, again, <laughs> it happened to him. <laughs> you know, right? Um, but I've had things like that. I mean, I've had situations where. Um, I've been with friends and someone's insulted them. It's bothered me more than it's bothered them. And I know that's not the same thing as an assassination. I'm not saying it is, but it bothered me a lot and it bothered them. Nada. I, I, do you think that it would have been better if like Reagan had waited to forgive? Like, like, no, because it's so long. I mean, Nancy to her deathbed, we're not talking about, you know, 13 years or three. I don't know what appropriate time for that is, but at that point, you just made a decision that you're not going to let go of it. You know? Hmm. I mean, I, right? I mean what, what do you think the <laughs> statue of limitations on that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, the research we just said is basically what society put pressures people into, which is uh, forgive people immediately because it's better for your soul. But, oh, yeah, or, they, or they already paid their, their thing to society, right? The right. judge decides on your forgiveness, not you. Right. right. Well, that's 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 the other thing is is uh, um, society says forgive because it's better for you. You'll heal. You'll 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 feel better. It's it's like you know getting rid of the poison. But then again, you know forgiveness shouldn't be tied to whether or not somebody gets convicted. Like like <laughs> it, it's uh, there's a lot of like we there's a lot, there's a lot of unfairness about that right on what sentences are that they're not even. Right. What the judge decides is not in your hands. What the prosecutor decides is not in your hands. It should be just you forgive somebody without expectations of how hard they get punished or whether they get punished at all. But even the plea bargains, a lot of times they'll politely include the family and they'll ask what they think. But at the end of the day, the lawyers do it. Yeah. You know, they do what they, they do their job or what they think their best the best they can get is. And they might not agree with it, but, you know. I, I, I think... I think he was too quick. I think I know Reagan had his reasons. We'll talk about those reasons uh, in a little bit here. Um, but I think it was too quick. I think that that forgiveness takes time to process and everything I've read about forgiveness um, from the psychology side of things, it, it really should be done at your processing speed, not at the speed that you think would be healthy. Forgiveness isn't a meditational retreat. Uh, forgiveness is not a, a, you know, something you do for, for your morning, um, uh, what do you call it? Your morning golden hour. It's really something where like you have to be prepared to change as a person yourself. And you also have to be prepared for them to not get punished, like forgiving somebody honestly, but also realizing that they may not get their comeuppance and being accepting of that, which is 
honestly, that's kind of beyond me for a lot of things. Like I say that and I know that it'd be very hard for me to do. Um, do you, okay. Do you want to talk about why we, we should work toward that forgiveness? Like if, yeah, cause I, I want to get a better person. I, I already can see that there's physical pain. There's emotional bait. It's a bad day. And I don't, right. I don't want to, I don't want to be like this miserable, unforgiving bastard my whole life. You know, I like to <laughs> right. try to get better. Well, if, if we can't all be Reagan and literally forgive as soon as we wake up in the hospital, um, and, and once you are ready to start forgiving and ready to forgive in a way where you don't have expectations of what happens to the other person, the reason why you do it is because, um, well, first off, blood pressure. Um, uh, the amount of uh, tension and anger um, has been shown to raise your blood pressure by several points. Like it, it, it's the same as basically going through your day with um, work stress. But instead of having that only at like 4 p.m. right before you quit work, it's it's all the time. Um, healthy muscle tension is another good reason. Um, we that new caledonia study we quoted they they talk about that where like it, it, it's it's muscular it's it's interbody um you have better immune functions if you can forgive somebody um who haunts you day and night <laughs> uh it lowers your cortisol that's the reason why is when you have high cortisol which is a stress hormone um it it impairs your immune system so you'll get sick more um it improves your nervous system function and as we mentioned less pain um <laughs> my grandfather uh, was an unforgiving ball of pain. And I think that's why he had such a strong handshake is because literally his muscles were tense all the time from uh, holding on to his grudges forever. So um, I, I assume that's what makes you physically strong because you are clenched everywhere. <laughs> I want to ask you about that. You know, you explain what the Dunbar number is, but do you think we have that too for, for hate and for grudges? We, oh, we, I, 100%. Go ahead. <laughs> well, the Dunbar number is you can only hold like 144 relationships. Correct me, please. 144 relationships in your head. There's a reason why Facebook, only, you can, you only see what a certain amount of friends are doing. You can only remember a certain amount of names, no matter how intelligent you are. Right. Companies um, how, literally split at, at after 150, like in their departments. Yeah. Yeah. But I think when you start to alienate yourself, can you just only physically and emotionally handle so much hate? That is a good question. I, I don't. I, I think that the people you you hold on to grudges for, they certainly occupy one of your Dunbar number. They they occupy one of your one hundred and fifty circle. To to give this a, a little bit of a, a stronger definition, the Dunbar number was identified by Robin Dunbar. Um, Dunbar said that like when you study humans and and you know primates and things, you can only have about one hundred and fifty people where you remember their name. And you can think of their face and you you emotionally connect with them. That there's about 150 people where you can truly say they're my friend because you can sort of like, you get a sense of them when you think of them. Um, beyond 150, they, they kind of get fuzzy. It's like when you remember somebody in your old class and you're like, I kind of don't remember their face and I kind of don't remember my third grade friend that well. Um, and people you hate, people you have, you know, you, you, who have wronged you and you can't forgive, they absolutely occupy one of those numbers, and you don't want that. You, you ideally, all 150 people in our Dunbar number are people that we like and and bring us joy to think of. I think multiple because I think when you when you're in that, I mean, I don't know about you, but there's been a few nights where I stay up late and just obsess on, over somebody, 
you know, I don't think about anything else. I'm not proud of that. Right. <laughs> to the fact that, you know, that part about, I should have told him this, I should have told him this. And I like to say I just put it behind me right away, but I don't. Oh, I, I know the process that, like, all this, all this, when we talk about, like, pain, stress, immune system, higher cortisol, I know when that happens. It's when you're thinking about a family member who you really want to argue with, and you're rehearsing that argument in your head and you are clenched while you're doing it and you're mentally not enjoying the fresh air or the sunshine. You're, you're not looking at, you're not tasting the food you're eating. You are just angry at the person. And that, that is, <laughs> that is, that is the physical manifestation of, of somebody who occupies that Dunbar number. And it's just a, a, a blank hate spot where a person should be. Um, when we say that it, it, it uh, not forgiving somebody uh, is detrimental it's not like detrimental with a lowercase d. It is something where it changes your day to day if it is somebody who's wronged you hard enough. You don't have to get shot by somebody, um, just a family member who never paid you back or somebody who like ruined Thanksgiving dinner by bringing their crappy politics in and like totally like won't stop, you know, won't leave you alone on Facebook. It, it can be you know, forgiveness in a way where you're doing it for your own health. But honestly, it's, it's hard to even start thinking about that. Um, we could, we could talk about the, the, the model, which we can use to forgive if we want to be more like uh, Reagan in this one instance. Um, yeah, please. There's going to be some takeaway here where we can, there's <laughs> gotta be something we can do. <laughs> <laughs> I think you got it here, right? Yeah. Um, the one that I, I found uh, is called the reach model. Um, R E A C H. So like you reach out, um, the reach model is, um, you recall the hurt, which that's the first step. Uh, the, the easiest step for me, um, is to think about what they had done and you recall the hurt, but then you start developing empathy. Um, we are going to link off to an amazing Ted talk about forgiveness. I, by the way, I found a, a Ted talk from Dolph Lundgren about forgiveness. That was kind of like meh. I expected it to be amazing. It was just sort of like him talking about how he became an actor and forgave his dad. It was sort of boring. I listened to um, a couple of talks, like like college lectures. The best talk I found was a surprising TED Talk by a woman I had never seen before, like a, a young 20-year-old college student. I thought it was going to be a bust. And she went through every uh, element of forgiveness we're talking about on the show. It was amazing. And, and, I, her, and I got a, I got a second that it's a must watch. It's it's so good after Joe sent it to me, and I had the same kind of thing. Like uh, here we go again. I have made you know friends and family members watch it in front of me because that way I know they'll watch it because it's that powerful. And yeah. It just makes it just takes everything you think you know and turn it upside down, and it's factual and actual. It's researched and it's someone that actually lived it. it yeah, it, it's memorable. I mean. She, um, her talk, she, the reason I'm bringing it up right now is because her, uh, phase, like in the reach model, her, her empathy phase is masterful. So when you, when you, after you've recalled the hurt, you develop empathy for the person, even after they've wronged you, because everybody's a person. And even if they've done something shitty to you, they, they are still a person. And, and the Sarah way Sarah Montana forgiveness is what, yeah. what, what is it? Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, we're going to link it to it. Um, look it up if, if you can't find the link. Um, but Sarah Montana, um, uh, somebody had killed her family, basically. And years later, the way she developed empathy is she went and looked up what he was up to in jail. And she found the prison he was in and found out that the cell ward he was in had 23 hour a day isolation 
and they had suffered hunger strikes because like it was so inhumane and they had been up like for um, like they had been reviewed for human rights violations. So she realized that um, the person who had done all this is a human and was under the cruelest conditions in the justice system. And, and I think yeah. it's important to point out that you know, she, she references that she was searching because she was in emotional and physical beyond her mother and her brother were murdered by this man for over nothing. And it was it was a it was a neighbor of someone that her mother and family had been very kind to had them in their house, had taken care of them, had shown them a lot of love. So she was really in physical and emotional pain over this. So she was searching. One of the things that really stuck out to me was she says, you know, it talks in the Bible and I don't know the exact number, sixty seven times about forgiving, but it doesn't give you in one example how to. Yeah. And that's what she found in psychology and all this. Everyone says it's important, but no one gives you this 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 recipe or blueprint to how to actually do it. <laughs> you, you don't remember uh, Matthew uh, 87, 45, where Jesus says uh, to Judas, no problem, bro. Like that's, that's not in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Her, her talk is incredible and, and it's dead on for a lot of this. Um, but, but she had the, the best example I could find online of somebody developing empathy for somebody that they're trying to forgive. That was incredible. Um, so uh, R is recall the hurt. E is empathy, develop it. Um, A is for altruism. Um, forgiveness is an altruistic act. Uh, um, it's it's something you're doing for yourself. And that is the third part. And after you've developed empathy for somebody who's wronged you, realize that the forgiveness part is for you. And like I said, that you're, you're not going to get anything. You know, the, the world won't change around you. The You forgiving somebody, it, it means not expecting something of the world to like punish them. It's not the whole thing where you like, I forgive you, but I expect karma to, to kick your ass later. It's no, it's an altruistic act. And that's kind of what I felt with Reagan. I don't know if Reagan developed empathy for his shooter. I, well, I do know that he, he had that stage. And I don't think it was a political thing. I don't. Yeah. I don't think it was to Ray get Ray votes or to get popular favor or, or to show himself in a better light. I don't get that. Do you get that feeling at all? It was literally just a personal thing. Well, did did we um, uh, in your research? Did you find out the actual reason why he he chose to forgive? Oh, I do. I did. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna get to that. Don't get we'll ahead get to of that. Okay. There. Okay. Right. So after you uh, after you know, uh, recall the hurt, empathy, forgiveness, realize it's an realize it's an altruistic act, and then commit to forgiveness for yourself. Um, that is the C in reach. Uh, and then once you've kind of committed to forgiveness because you don't want to hit that pain button every five minutes and, and literally jolt your system with pain whenever you think about it, um, the final one is H is hold on to forgiveness. Uh, and I think it's funny that the two last ones are basically similar. It's commit to forgiveness and then hold on to forgiveness because that is difficult. Like that is a hard step to continue. Can we can we talk about I, I we this has been such a, a deep episode so far. Can we talk about the funny stuff Reagan said while he was going through this? <laughs> this says a lot about character, you know. And I, I'm not, a, you know, I wasn't a big fan of Reagan, Reagan until I actually doing research for the show. But this this was funny. So he's going in. The first lady shows up, Nancy Reagan. He's prepared for surgery, so he's not out of the woods. He's just going into the woods, right? And even at this time. He turns to his wife and said, jokingly, honey, I forgot to duck. 
<laughs> Wally's like on a hospital uh, gurney. Like, <laughs> uh, now he did. He got out of the hospital twelve days later, which is pretty pretty substantial time in a hospital, right? Um, and this is interesting. He left. He exited the hospital and he wore a bulletproof vest, and that got me thinking. We're doing the show, and you know. A lot of the resentment from the, the agents and stuff, a lot of them, I think, had a sense of guilt. You know, their job is to protect the president. And how could this have happened? How did they, you know what I mean? How, right. Wouldn't you think that would be something that they would be hard to forgive themselves? Like, you know, the, the Secret Service, if you ever see that video, they were jumping in front of bullets. Oh, they're yeah. Willing to, they're willing to, when, when the test comes down, they, they, they stepped up. And passed the test with flying colors. They wanted to take a president. They they wanted to take the bullet o- over the president. Three of them, like was it all Secret Service agents? Like three other people besides Reagan got shot before Reagan exactly. got it. And one guy died years later from his thing, and that's terrible. And their forgiveness was not as quick as Reagan's. Um, yeah, I got another one for you though. <laughs> yeah, please. Uh, so he's he's on the he's on the thing to go to surgery. The bright lights are out, right? He's in and the surgery the, room. Yeah, he's in there, and they're getting ready to go, ready to get down to business. And and the uh, and uh, <laughs> Reagan leans to the lead surgeon and whispers to him, "Please tell me you're all Republicans." <laughs> 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 that's a pretty cool. That's a pretty cool, cat. And uh, and the and the, of course, uh, the Democratic, the Democrat surgeon in the room said, "Today, Mr. President, we're all Republicans." And then the president went out. The anesthesiologist put him out. Kind of like that. That gives me kind of warm and fuzzy. You know? That is such a smart reply. <laughs> I like that. So, I'm. Can we? You're you're killing me with the suspense. Did Reagan do it because he was like? Was it? It, it wasn't political. We established that. Did he forgive because he wanted to like heal his own pain? Like, did he want to go through these? Did he know about the reach model early? He had an example. He had a hero and someone who had something similar. Pope John Paul II had gotten assassinated attempted just recently with an assailant who shot him in the in the Vatican Square. And he got the idea from that. And since Pope John Paul um, forgave right away, being a man of religion and great spiritual power, he said, I'm going to do the same thing. Oh my God! John Paul was recent; like 2005 is when he died. Wow. Okay. Well, he didn't die from this. It was back when he got it was assassination attempt, but he forgave his guy right away. Okay. Very similar. That makes sense. <laughs> that that is crazy. That that is Reagan being like, okay, if if um, a actor I really like wears a, a watch that I think is cool, I'll buy it because I want to be more like the actor. I don't forgive somebody who shoots me because I want to be more like a a religious figure of mine. That's crazy. But he had an example of someone who had done it. You know what I mean? Now, what's funny about this is um, what what, they didn't want him to forgive right away because they said um, they said what that was going to do is that's going to legitimize. So I'm looking up the dates here on on the 13th of May, 19, uh, 1981. So it just happened just before that. And he was struck twice and had severe blood loss. So he had this example. But they're saying, you don't want to forgive him too quickly because it's going to legitimize. He's going to feel like he didn't do anything wrong. This is more serious than that. So they had real public public safety concerns. 
Okay. But Reagan decided that. You know. So Reagan Reagan forgave him publicly, but he wasn't allowed to like speak to him directly. Like he wasn't allowed to like that'd be like a Hannibal Lecter moment. Like if if he went to prison to talk to Hinckley and spoke to him directly, that I can see that legitimizing Hinckley. Like that'd be like, yeah, now I am the Joker. Like now Batman is talking to me in prison. Yeah, and I'm untouchable a little bit, right? Yeah. Oh man, think about that that conversation in prison. What are you in for? Well, uh, to wrap everything up, um, this is the interesting thing. This is one of the whole, the whole story is interesting, but um, this guy never spent one day in in prison, and I oh, think really? there was some very very. I think this whole thing got very political. I I don't know how much money his his father poured in. But there was a lot of pressure. A lot of um, Republicans were saying the liberals have gotten together. How can you go kill a man, try to assassinate the president, and now he's out walking the streets? Um, he has got total, he's not on probation. There's nothing he can't do. He could go up to Ronald Reagan's son or daughter, the, whoever's the living members of their family, and knock on their door. He can also go to the secret servicemen that are still alive and their family and knock on their door. He doesn't even have a restraining order. So there's some pretty good lawyering, you know, yeah. that went down here. And you kind of wonder, right? It's like, well, shit, what do you, <laughs> what, if that isn't a social class thing? <laughs> well, okay. I actually have a, um, a, a, a bit of an answer to this. Did you know that um, after Hinckley's trial, during the trial, he was declared legally insane, and it was so controversial that his lawyers managed to get the uh, insane plea um, that they changed the laws. They, they made it way, way harder to plead insanity after Hinckley. So because like, it was it was such a miscarriage of justice. They're like, well, we got to we got to fix this. We got to put right. some safe. And that's for, for, for the safety of the public. Right. It's not just about him. I mean, he's done, but they, they don't want this ever happen again that someone can kind of wiggle their way. Right. And, and that is reflected today. Like, um, what was the, uh, the guy's name from, I'm not going to mention his name actually, cause he doesn't deserve it, but the, uh, was it Aurora theater, the Colorado shooter, mm-hmm. um, the guy that watched, uh, Batman and dyed his hair like the Joker and went in with a gun and shot up a theater. He couldn't plead insane because Hinckley did it, you know, uh, 30 years before, like, like it was almost the exact same situation where he watched a movie he had the same kinds of disorders, the cluster of disorders, and he he wanted notoriety and he wanted to to impress people. He went in with a gun, and now you can't really plead insanity anymore in that way. Like like you're just a sociopath, um, and and you get a orange jumpsuit. Um, so that that's as a miscarriage of justice that that kind of change happened afterwards. It's too bad that some people have to die for that to happen. Yeah. Um, I don't think it has to be either or. I, I think you can go to prison and also get psychiatric help. Like, I know a lot of prisons um, don't provide the right kind of medical help or, or psychiatric help. But I, I think there might be a way in the future. Like, I, I hopefully, um, you know, prisons are capable of doing that eventually. And I do believe that psychiatric hospitals can be worse than regular prisons. <laughs> I do. I yeah, think. that too. I think they're very sick places. And when you... You know, you compound, you get sick people with other sicker people, and um, it doesn't seem quite fair. Um, there's this interview um, that Hinckley, I'd like to discuss that with you. This is yeah. 30 years later. This is when he's released. 
Yeah. If, if, if anybody listening, if you haven't seen the Hinckley interviews that happened last year, they're wild. Yeah. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to start it out. You know, he apologizes. He said it was unfortunate that other people were shot, which was kind of weird. I'm like, oh, I just wanted to get that one guy. I'm sorry about the, the collateral <laughs> damage. Um, the To me, the reporter was very confrontational. And he said, do you realize you traumatized the nation? Now, I was only seven when this happens. Do you think it traumatized the nation or was this just? I I can't say. I, I didn't because I didn't live through the era. Um, everything I read uh, about it, it, it's it's. It is bold and underlined in in the books of history, so I, I don't know if it traumatized a nation, but it certainly traumatized a lot of people who didn't think that could happen. When I think of traumatized nation, I think of um, the Kennedy assassination. I also think of the space shuttle. I, I would give those, you know, hundred yeah. oh, percent. Oh. And this one, I think, well, if he would have passed, it, to me, it's almost like a hero story. It's like a Superman story. Um, he, he had a blanket apology and he included, you know, even Jodie Foster. It's kind of one of those things. And it just, <laughs> I'm so sorry for everything I did, but he's just so flat and dry. And, yeah. you know, I, I hate when, when lawyers do that. Oh, he cried, but there were no tears and this and that. We don't know. This guy is a weirdo. He yeah. definitely has, he's on the spectrum somewhere for narcissist sociopath. I don't, I don't think that's debatable. He's got severe, but he, um, he was sick. Then he was a very sick person. This is what he's saying. I would study harder than anybody else um, because of my psychology than anyone in history because of his crime. And I believe that. I think yeah. they had every doctor from all over the world doing every test on him for this long, longer than anyone else because he survived and it's something they could study and they because they don't want it to happen again. The the my takeaway from watching the interviews is, is very similar. It's he spent thirty years under a microscope having every doctor who could prod him and, and try to fix him emotionally so they could get a book out of it. Um and if, if you watch these and you're expecting him to sound remorseful, he does not. He is still the same robotic flat tone as you would expect from what the Secret Service talked about, where he's asking for football scores in the car and correcting their spelling. Like, it's 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 the same flat roboticism. He doesn't expect forgiveness. That's what he said in his interview, but he wants forgiveness. 